In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies. It is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are, leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, the author of Not by Fire but by Ice describes how we may already be in the beginning stages of an ice age. So far, science has been ignoring underwater volcanic activity. And I think that is what has been heating the oceans. So what you have is you have warming oceans, meaning you've got uh, more moisture rising into the sky, is rising into a sky that has been cooled by the above water volcanoes. So that is what I see as the recipe for an ice age. If you're a fan of this podcast or my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, or my YouTube channel, Strange Planet, I hope you'll consider becoming an official donor. A donation of $50 a month places you in the Star Chamber. $20 a month is the Whistleblower Tier. And a donation of just $10 per month makes you a truth seeker. Any monthly amount is welcome and greatly appreciated. To become an official donor, go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. 
Here's Richard Serrett. You know, speaking your mind can get you in a lot of trouble these days. I've been crossed off Christmas card lists or uninvited to parties because of some of my views. Global warming, for instance. I don't believe in anthropogenic or man-made global warming. But there are uh, climate scientists out there, too, who don't buy into it. And they're taking a lot of heat no pun intended. I'm just reading here in the London Daily Mail about one such, a climate scientist who's been gagged by green zealots. Groundbreaking climate research that was controversially covered up suggests the rate that greenhouse gases are heating the earth has been significantly exaggerated. Again, according to the uh, the, the Mail, renowned Swedish scientist Professor Lennart Bengtsson of Reading University was at the center of an international row last week when his study was rejected by a leading science journal after it was said to be harmful and have a negative impact. The rejection sparked accusation that scientists had crossed an important line by censoring findings that were not helpful to their views. Professor Bengston further claims one of the world's most recognized science publications also decided not to use his research findings because he said they were considered to be uninteresting. Professor Bengston, uh, Bengston's uh, critical paper was co-authored with four colleagues. It focused on the growing gap between real temperatures and predictions made by computers. In a recent key report, the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change stated that the climate sensitivity the amount the world will warm each time carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere double, was between 1.5 and 4.5 degrees Celsius. According to Professor Bengtsson, uh, his paper, it was it is more likely to be 1.2 to 2.7. And the implications of the difference are huge. If the planet is warming half as fast as previously thought in response to emissions, Many assumptions behind targets for reducing emissions and green energy subsidies are wrong. The subsidies, in turn, have led to significant increases in consumers' power bills. We can appreciate that here in the uh, province of Ontario. Last week, it was revealed environmental research letters had rejected his paper because it would be seized on by climate skeptics in the media. Well, my guest for the next hour likewise believes it's not man-made global warming we need to be concerning ourselves with. It's global cooling. He warns a new ice age may already be upon us. He cites as evidence an 11,500-year cycle related to Earth's rotational axis in which ice ages lasting from 1,000 to 5,000 years occur like clockwork. He suggests that extremes in weather patterns such as the recent record-breaking series of tornadoes, could be signs of this impending change. Robert Felix is a former architect who became interested in the Ice Age cycle back in 1991. He spent the next eight and a half years full-time researching and writing about the coming Ice Age. He then concentrated on spreading the word. His book, Not by Fire but by Ice, has achieved international acclaim with readers around the world, and today, Robert continues his research and is more firmly convinced than ever that the next Ice Age could begin any day. In fact, he believes it has already begun. Robert Felix, welcome once again. How are you? Fine, Richard. How are you? Well, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm doing okay, uh, despite, you know, all the doom and gloom out there. But, you know, I'm not frightened by global warming. I, I, I don't believe it. Never have from the beginning. 
And uh, I mean, I remember back in, uh, in in the early 70s when everyone was talking about global cooling. Explain how an ice age happens, because it's not about the temperature, it's about the precipitation, correct? Exactly, exactly. They don't call it a cold age, they call it an ice age. And of course, uh, well, you, before I go in there, I mean, you've been able to see what has been happening with, with the Great Lakes this, this uh, past winter. That doesn't look very much like global warming to me. But, uh, uh, no, as we head into an ice age, we have what are called snow blitzes, where it snows more and more and more, and, and you reach the point where the snow does not melt in the summer. And so it's not, it's not that, uh, it's not that these huge glaciers grind out of the north. I know a lot of people in the United States are, they have that kind of, of, uh, mindset. They think that, uh, those ice ages, those, those ice sheets that, that used to cover Canada, that they'll come back and that they will they will creep down out of the north. And, and of course, people think it will take thousands of years. But we're looking at snow blitzes and we're looking at ice ages that begin in less than 20 years. And this was, scientists discovered this back in the 1990s and, and they didn't even really believe it. They were they were drilling uh, deep cores into the ice in central Greenland. They, they drilled down like two miles deep where they could pull up these cores of ice that had formed as much as 250,000 years ago. And, and as they looked at those cores of ice and at the, everything that's in the cores, the dust and the, the, the ash and whatever they see, is they found that every ice age in the last quarter million years had begun in less than 20 years. And we're talking, I mean, going from periods of warmth such as today into full-blown glacial severity in less than 20 years. So one day... Right. I, I, I feel that we're headed in that direction right now. So one day it starts to snow in, let's say, late March and into April, and yes. it just keeps snowing and keeps snowing, and uh, we don't get that melt. And then along comes May, and the snow's still on the ground, and then it keeps snowing, and it won't stop. Keeps and the other part, even without that, the part that, that worries me even more is is that uh, I fear that we'll be fighting in the streets for food long before we're covered with ice. And, and the, the reason I say that is, for instance, the Little Ice Age, uh, which occurred in the, the 1600s, essentially. But when the canals during, of Venice froze over. Yes, when Venice froze over, uh, they they didn't have thermometers back then, so they couldn't, uh, you know, they can't go back and look that way when they look at the history. But they do know that farmers in the Alps, farmers were were petitioning their local governments for tax relief because their fields and their pastures were covered with ice. So, uh, but anyway, what happened, for instance, in in, uh, in England? Uh, during that period, I mean, England didn't get covered in, in ice, but what happened is that the rainy period lasted about five weeks longer in the spring, so farmers w- weren't able to, to plant until five week, weeks too late. And then rainy season came back five weeks earlier in the fall, so they weren't able to harvest. And this happened year after year. I mean, you've heard of the potato famine. I, my my uh, mother's family actually moved from Ireland because of that to, to Canada because of that potato famine. Uh, that was during the Dalton minimum as opposed to the Maunder minimum. But uh, but anyway, 
because the planting season started five weeks later than normal and and the harvesting ended, literally millions of people died of starvation. And that's what I I look at now, and you know, I and I look at. Uh, Governments around the world that are that are putting all of these phony taxes on carbon and and on on coal and the things that create our own our energy and just when we're going to need that energy the most is when we're not going to have that energy. They're yeah. destroying our energy. Well, the, as far as I'm concerned, we have we already have a, a perilously short growing season up here north of the 49th, as you're well aware, and so it, it would only take a couple of weeks. Uh, you know, shortening that by a few extra weeks on either uh, end of the, the growing season, as you say, it would, would create massive few f- food shortages. Uh, yeah. But but people will will look to the drought that uh, California has uh, endured the last uh, several years, and 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 would might ask you, well, where where then is this, you know, ice age uh, for Californians? Where is this, you know, precipitation? Why aren't well, they experiencing? It's obviously not there right now. Now, I'll go to an, uh, an English uh, climatologist here. Is uh, Hubert H. Lamb, H. H. Lamb. He wrote a book about the Little Ice Age. In fact, he studied it. He wrote several uh, such books. And in one of them, I've, I've read his books, but in one of them, he describes that, that as you go into an ice age, you are looking at extremes in both directions. And he talked about areas during, as we entered the last ice age, areas of the world that had the worst droughts in 500 years, and then they turned around and had the worst snowstorms in 300 years. And this happened in the same location, same year. Explain, Robert, the connection between sunspots and the weather or the climate here on planet Earth. You bet I can. Uh, also, it's iceagenow.info, uh, so it's in both locations now. Terrific. Um, well, actually, there was an article that just came out on May 15th. Uh, a solar physicist at the National Solar Observatory in Tucson, he thinks that we are headed into a grand minimum right now. And his name is uh, Mark Giampapa. But anyway... Um, it does have to do with the sunspots. During the, the, during the Little Ice Age, is what happened during the Little Ice Age is sunspots declined and declined and declined until there, for about 50 years there were no sunspots. Now, there has been a big uh, argument in the scientific circles that some scientists say that this makes no difference. Other scientists say it does. Uh, and I think that we're seeing the proof that it does because the the, the little ice age did happen when those those uh, sunspots were were dropped to zero, and right now sunspot activity is the lowest that it has been in at least a hundred years, and and I think it's even lower than that because uh, NASA when they are studying sunspots. They now have fantastic, uh, tel- you know, the, the uh, tel- telescopes where they can can really see sunspots that nobody could see back in the 1600s. And I think if if they were looking at the sun with the same quality of telescope as we used to have in the 1600s, they would see that we are indeed headed into what's known as a maunder minimum. 
Now, um, there's a David Hathaway. He's a solar physicist at NASA at the Marshall Space Flight Center in Huntsville. And he says we're at the sunspot maximum of cycle 24. It's the smallest sunspot cycle in 100 years. So this is this is official from, from NASA that, that it is the smallest sunspot cycle in 100 years. I think it's even smaller because I think they're recording sunspots that, that shouldn't uh, – that shouldn't even be there or shouldn't even be counted. So, yeah. and this is similar to the sunspot activity in the 17th century, which coincided with this period of cooling called the Little Ice Age. But what is the connection Absolutely. between, why do little dots on the surface of the sun, why does that affect our climate so much? Well, you know, they've been trying to figure it out because the sunspots are actually cooler than the rest of the sun. But uh, they're big, uh there's still more to be found, but they're beginning to think that the sunspots uh, affect the UV rays, which we don't even we haven't even been measuring and looking at as part of a, a cooling part. So there's still more to be learned, but I, it, it apparently has to to do with that. Um, but you know, I've talked with a couple of, of uh, astrophysicists. There's an astrophysicist in London, Piers Corbin. That uh, I went to, I visited London a, a few years ago, and I was lucky enough to, to meet Piers. Actually, uh, he and his wife had my, myself and my wife over for dinner one night, which I greatly appreciated. But he says that we are headed into a little ice age right now, based on his astrophysical, st- you know, studies of the of the sun. And there's another one that I, uh, another astrophysicist that I was lucky enough to meet is uh, Dr. Habibulo Abdesamatov. He's a Russian astrophysicist, and he also says that we are headed into a a, a little ice age. Now, some of them say mini ice age, but but uh, he says that we're headed into a drastic period of cooling. And Dr. Abdesamatov is not. Uh, it's pretty impressive, I think, the fact that he's an astrophysicist. But he's not just any old astrophysicist. He also happens to be uh, head of Russia's uh, portion of the International Space Station. So, I mean, we're talking about very, very legitimate science here that our politicians are trying to sweep under the rug and, and trying to, you know, they've, they've found themselves a cash cow. And as far as I'm concerned, that's what it's all about. Once it starts snowing in earnest and won't stop, tell me the kind of accumulation we'd be looking at. Uh, let's say, you know, you're on Manhattan um, Island uh, and it starts to snow. Can you can you give me some some visuals here to help me understand what an ice age would look like living in New York City? Well, eventually, uh, on, the, on the cover of my book, I have uh, an artist's rendition of a city with, with tall, you know, hundred-story skyscrapers that are that are completely buried under the ice. And I've had some geologists in New York complain to me because they said the ice was actually three times deeper than that. In, in uh, well, a lot of Canada was covered with two miles thick of ice. I know in Seattle, in the United States, Seattle uh, was covered with 4,000 feet of ice, 4,000 feet straight up, so you're talking four-fifths of a mile. Obviously no way to survive in, in, in that type of uh, climate, obviously, right? 
No, I don't think there is. You know, a few minutes ago you mentioned uh, Fort Worth, that you had been there. Yes. And I, actually, I just came back from Austin, Texas last night. Ah. Because, because I've been down there looking at the Texas Hill Country. I'm, I'm looking for places that uh, I think are going to be safer. Right now I do live in the Seattle area, and it's getting, you know, right now it's fine. But uh, if I'm right, then this thing is going to come on in a hurry. The way it's going to come on, I think, is during the Little Ice Age is volcanic activity increased tremendously. And during the Big Ice Age, of course, volcanic activity increased uh, even more than that. So what I what I see happening is that is how this thing would happen very quickly, is, is that if we have a, a huge volcanic explosion or if we have... Uh, lots of little ones at the same time, then we're going to be looking at the, you know, uh, cooler skies. And the other half of that equation, and I, I think eventually this will be my contribution, so far science has been ignoring underwater volcanic activity. And I think that is what has been heating the oceans, is underwater volcanic activity. I think that's what's been heating the Arctic Ocean, is underwater volcanic activity. So what you have is you have warming oceans, meaning you've got uh, more moisture rising into the sky. It's rising into a sky that has been cooled by the above-water volcanoes. So that is what I see as the recipe for an ice age. Uh, and uh, how, what's can you can you give us sort of the latitude, the degrees latitude roughly uh, where on Earth this, the the effects will be felt of the ice age and, and below which there would be a safe haven? Well, um, it would be hard to describe on my on my website on iceagenow.info. If you scroll down and look on the right hand side, I've got a, a link for ice age maps. But, but talking about the United States and Canada is, I've got a line on there that shows, but essentially, uh, the ice covered, came down out of Canada and covered, uh, Seattle, and then it moved over to like Spokane and almost up to the Canadian border in Idaho, uh, where there was a, a tongue of ice that moved down out of Canada and, and dammed up the Clark Fork River. Then it followed the Missouri River. On the north side of the Missouri River, there was a cliff of ice about 15 stories tall. But on the south side of the Missouri River, you could have lived there, even during the Ice Age. Well, then it moves. It followed the, the Missouri. It covered uh, most of Wisconsin. It covered all of New England, almost all of New York. And as I look at the, the map here in front of me, uh, it, it covered Toronto. So eventually, that's going to happen again. Right. So if you're if you're in the Carolinas, uh, you're, you should be fine. You'll be fine. Yep. What if what happened? Well, for instance, I mentioned that Seattle was covered with four thousand feet of ice straight up. But if you went a hundred and fifty miles south of Seattle, temperatures were only about seven degrees colder than they are right now. They tell that because scientists can look at the kind of plants that grew in the area at the time. So, okay, seven degrees colder, that's that's quite a bit colder, but you can survive it. Uh, over nearer you, the climate of Chicago essentially moved to Georgia. 
And if you've been keeping track of the weather this last year, I mean, Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia was shut down yes. for, for days. With It was so cold there and icy and snowy. So, you know, again, I think I'm seeing the beginnings of it right now. Well, there's been rumblings sort of online and in certain circles that certain government agencies, uh, particularly in the United States, have been pulling up stakes and sort of surreptitiously moving uh, and I'm wondering if, you know, this is anticip- in anticipation of some cataclysmic event like an ice age. Are, are you tracking any of uh, of that? Are you, are you noticing that government agencies are sort of quietly going about their business in anticipation of a little ice age or, or a grand ice age? You know, I don't. Unfortunately, I don't believe it very much at all. That comes out of my government, um, so. I'm not aware of that, but it wouldn't surprise me. I, I just don't. With all of this talk about, with all this talk about global warming and and rising sea levels, I think it's silly. I mean, sea levels have been rising for eleven thousand five hundred years. Sea levels. I mean, that's what happens when you when you end an ice age. During the last ice age, sea levels were three hundred and seventy feet lower. Than they are right now, um, the Bering Strait between between Alaska and Siberia. The Bering Strait Strait is only 270 feet deep. So, during the last ice age, it was above water. Our ancestors could have walked here from Siberia. So, sea levels have been rising every single year for 11,500 years. This is nothing new, except one thing is new: is that. And you don't hear about this. You can find it on my website if you if you Google it. But in 2011 and 2012, satellite measurements show that sea levels actually declined just by millimeters, but they actually declined during those two years. Hmm. Because when you think about it, I mean that's where all the moisture comes from to build up those ice sheets that cover Canada. It has to come from somewhere. Right, right. That's where it comes from. On, for instance, the, in, on the east coast of the United States, uh, Florida was twice as big as it is now because sea levels were further out. Uh, New Jersey... Sea levels were a hundred miles further east than they are now. That's going to happen again. Well, the yeah. uh, the again the global warming alarmists, when they talk about evidence uh, that to, to, to buttress their case that we are in in the midst of global warming, they talk about the retreating glaciers. But but to, to my mind, glacier glacial activity has more to do with precipitation than temperature. So what is happening with the glaciers? Some of them are receding, but but. But not most of them, you know. Uh, the Himalayas, we were hearing uh, a few years ago that they were all going to be melted by, by 2035. It turns out that was based on a study by one person who wasn't even a, a, a scientist, who wasn't even published. Uh, it turns out that the glaciers in the Himalayas right now are, are growing. Uh, K2, the glaciers are growing on K2, the glaciers are growing on Mount Everest, uh, glaciers on, uh, I can't remember the full name of it, something Parbat, but glaciers are growing in the Himalayas. I've got several uh, different articles about that on the website. Glaciers are growing right now in in the United States, and you don't hear about that, but 
uh, on Mount Shasta in California, there are several glaciers. I think there's five. But anyway, all five of those glaciers have been growing for the last 50 years, and nobody talks about it. In Washington State, the Mount St. Helens, if you remember, that uh, erupted, what, 1981? It's starting to make rumblings again, too. Go ahead. It's starting to make some rumblings again. They're wondering whether it, it might is. be ready to erupt. Listen, we'll it take is. a time out, uh, Robert, come back and continue to discuss the coming Ice Age. Here's a resolution for 2021. Reduce stress and enhance your immune system. ESS60 from C60 Evo. C60 is the carbon 60 molecule known to deliver more than 172 times the power of vitamin C, 172 times. ESS60 is the purest form of C60, a known antiviral, antibacterial, and anti-inflammatory remedy that works. ESS60 neutralizes free radicals from cell metabolization and external toxins to help minimize inflammation and maximize detoxification. Further, people report better sleep, more energy, and renewed mental clarity when they take our ESS60 organic oil. To order your miracle molecule ESS60, click on the C60 Evo link in the episode notes for this podcast or go to c60evo.com slash Richard hyphen Serrett. c60evo.com slash Richard hyphen Serrett. Buy now and save 10% by using the coupon code EVRS at checkout. Again, use the coupon code EVRS at checkout. Theoretical physicists say that there's as many as 12 hyperdimensions. Here are just three of them. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five. And welcome back. Move over global warming. Hello, Ice Age. Robert Felix is with us, the author of Not by Fire But by Ice, the website iceagenow.com. Uh, how long will this Ice Age last, Robert? Well, it'll probably last around 5,000 years. So... So we certainly won't see the end of it. But, you know, just before the, the break there, I was talking about uh, Mount St. Helens. Yes. Mount, when Mount St. Helens erupted, there was a, a, there were a lot of ice fields you know, and glaciers on top of Mount St. Helens. And so when, when it erupted, they all rushed, they melted and rushed down the Toodle River in a, you know, a, a mishmash of mud and, and slurry and, and trees and bulldozers and whatever was in the way. Well, there, a glacier started forming again on Mount St. Helens, and that glacier, it's in the crater, it's called Crater Glacier, that glacier is now bigger than it was in 1981. So it started from zero and is now bigger than it was then. So that's so much for, for melting glaciers. Mm. In Antarctica, you know, the, the news, you've probably seen all the news in the last two weeks about all of this melting and, and everything that's going on. And it is deceiving. It is deceptive. It, it is not true. I mean, the fact, when you read the article again, make sure to notice that they're talking about West Antarctica. They're talking about the Antarctic Peninsula, 
Well, that peninsula obviously is sticking out into the ocean, and it is warmed by by the warmer seas. But when you go inland, the Antarctic glacier is growing thicker and has been growing thicker for the last, well, I guess 50 years at least. So it's kind of like when they talk about this, it's kind of like if uh, if you would look at the map of the United States and and the whole thing were covered with ice, and or the ice melt, was melting in Oregon but was growing thicker everywhere else, you wouldn't say that the ice is melting. But that's what they're doing now is they're talking about a, a comparatively small part of Antarctica where the ice is indeed melting, but everywhere else it's growing thicker. And Antarctic sea ice, the ice in the ocean around Antarctica, has been breaking new records every single month for years. So to me it just drives me nuts to to see this deceptive uh, uh, information being put out there. Uh, When the Ice Age comes... Uh, we would be looking at, I'm guessing, because there would be some advance warning. Uh, as you say, it takes about 20 years. But we're going to be looking at a massive migration uh, from northern climes to the southern United States, Mexico, etc. Uh, give me an idea of the numbers uh, of the people affected that would have to uh, basically pack up the U-Haul and, and uh, head south. Well, again, I'm afraid that that the lack of food will put a stop to that. But I, I what I would anticipate that by if that happens, you're looking at essentially a collapse of of civilization we, the way we know it. And I think you'd, first you'd be seeing states passing laws that wouldn't let anybody migrate south into their state. You'd see Mexico closing their borders. And <laughs> There's, a that, uh, yeah, There's a switch. There's a switch. And they, and, and they would have to for their own survival. And, and I think you'll, at, you'll even see individual towns that, that have their own vigilantes. And uh, I think there will be lots of fighting. I, I really do. Uh, unless Canadians are really mean. You know, during uh, uh, Geng- Genghis Khan swept out of the north, uh, during as we entered the Little Ice Age, and he was able to conquer much of the world. But... Um, Right now, I don't think that you have the people who would have the stomach to do that sort of thing. But again, I'm saying food because the Canadian grain fields, you know, you won't be growing there. The the United States grain fields, some of them won't be growing. And and so many other kinds of plants won't be making it. I, I think it'll be food. I, I don't sell food on my website, but I keep telling people you've got to have a supply of food. If, if we're heading into an ice age, it, why are some species of animals that are normally found in the southern United States, like possums, why are they moving up here into Ontario? Shouldn't these animals be migrating in the other direction? You know, I guess I can't exactly answer that. I think that uh, if they were coming in because they thought it was getting warmer, then after this uh, this cold winter uh, with the uh, um, Great Lakes freezing over the way they have, the worst in, in, what, three or four decades, I'll bet they're not moving into Winnipeg. What, what didn't in Winnipeg this year there were, were thousands of... Uh, of uh, Frozen water lines and sewer lines that were frozen more than six feet deep. So, um, 
I can talk about a different kind of animal because uh, I, I grew up in Vermont, so not too far away from you. And as I was growing up, there were absolutely no moose in Vermont, none whatsoever. And in the last 30 years, moose have been moving back. They've been moving south from Canada into Vermont. Uh, and, and they're sure of it because there have been more than a thousand moose automobile accidents that, that, and some people have been killed. So for sure. Now, I, of course, uh, wanted to blame that on global cooling. But it turns out I, I contacted the uh, uh, the wildlife management uh, offices in Vermont, and it turned out that um, 200 years ago, when people moved into Vermont, the farmers, they were sheep farmers, and they cleared most of the trees. Well, now there's no sheep farming in Vermont, and, and trees have been growing back. And so the moose are growing back there, not because of the weather, but because there's more trees and they can hide. So... Yeah, I, you know, I, with that in mind, I, I can't make a quick answer about the possums. There may be a totally different uh, explanation. Well, uh, we, we did have my sister-in-law, or rather my sister and brother-in-law had a, a possum uh, take uh, residence in their garage this past winter, and uh, they found it frozen stiff as a board just a couple of months ago. Oh, so it, oh, met its, it met its demise uh, thanks to uh, perhaps global cooling. We were talking uh, earlier, uh, Robert, about uh, chemtrails and and, and Harp and, and uh, whether they're being used to manufacture the weather is it is it possible uh, that that uh, you know this is a bit of a, a misdirection they're not actually trying to forestall global warming but they are in fact trying to to uh, to forestall global cooling is there a connection with chemtrails I guess is what I'm asking or- uh, I guess I don't go there I haven't studied chemtrails at all uh, not a bit so. I can't go there on that. I, I, what I think, the reason I haven't studied them, is I think that humans are being arrogant to think that they could control the weather in either direction. Is there anything that could be done to, to forestall it? I'm guessing not. I don't think so, no, um, because this, is, this has happened time and time and time again. It's, it has to do with something called precession of the equinox. It's a, it's a total naturally suck cycle. I'll try to explain that a little if I can, is that our Earth is, is tilted. It doesn't rotate in a, you know, totally north and south, but it's tilted at about 23 and a half degrees. So right now, if you could put a stick all the way through the Earth, through our axis of rotation, and, and point it toward the heavens, it would point toward the, the North Star, toward Polaris. But that axis of rotation slowly rotates and rotates so that in, a, in about uh, 20, it takes about 23,000 years and so uh, 11,500 years from now, that stick will be pointing toward the star uh, uh, Vega. And then another 11,500 years from then, it will be pointing back toward, toward Polaris again. And ice ages seem to correlate almost perfectly with that precession of the equinoxes. So I don't think, you know, that's, that's way bigger than anything that humans could affect. Uh Again, with the the, uh, the dire predictions here, but w- what what percentage of the population of the human family w- will survive this? You know, uh, 
I'm going to sound like such a doom and gloomer, you know, but I don't think it'll be a very big percentage. What was it back 75,000 years ago when Toba erupted in yes. Uh, yes. Sumatra? And I think that that eruption, um, that killed so many people, they, they said it created a, a bottleneck in the DNA, and they they figured that, that maybe there were only 8,000 people who survived that worldwide. Um, so I don't know. You know, it's, it's just hard to know. But uh, I think we're going to lose a lot more people than anybody's prepared for. Uh, a couple but, of, but with that yes. said, if you could have, if you could survive the first year, then I think you're going to make it. And 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 how would one go about preparing for such an eventuality? I mean, obviously you want to move to warmer climes, and you're you're talking about the uh, the, the 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 foothills of uh, of Texas. Uh, uh, yeah, and you, but you don't have to go that far south. You know, just uh, south of where the line was before, I think, would do it. Right. I, you can have that supply of food, but don't tell anybody you have that supply of food because you're going to have to be prepared to protect it. Uh, what I'm hoping, you know, is is that if our governments could could understand what's going on, that they could start experimenting with, with different kinds of plants, uh, you know, like acousti uh, uh, rye, for instance, will grow in much lower temperatures. So, if I'd like to see some money devoted instead of instead of st- studying all of these bad things that happen because of global warming, I'd love to see research on on how you could grow f- food in in a cooler climate. It's there. The, you know, the ability is there. We do it, but but not on a massive scale. Like Durham wheat, for example. Require. Durham wheat, winter sure. wheat. Uh, I, th- th- yeah. A few years ago, they were talking about putting the the uh, a gene from a flounder, which of course exists in very very cold water. Putting a gene from a flounder into uh, wheat. Uh, huh. So. I know a lot of us balk at uh, GMOs, but there's an example where it might actually come in handy. Um, and uh, obviously, you know, you know, in, there, there'll be no infrastructure to speak of. The, there'll be no power grids. Uh, right. So, but you're saying if we can survive that first year, uh, and and but before we get to that point, you mentioned you know the lack of food. That's going to obviously precipitate some some clashes around the world uh we could never we could get to the point where we don't even see the ice age because we'll have a a, a nuclear winter we could you know and this the uh the little ice age cycle this cycle correlates with the fall of many empires it correlates with the fall of the grecian empire uh because you know they they had battles wars over grain and maybe nobody realized that that's what they were doing is going into an ice age but the grecian empire collapsed as they headed into an ice age a little ice age the roman empire collapsed as they headed into a little ice age genghis khan rushed out of the north swept out of the north as we're heading into a little ice age the Sumerian Empire uh, disappeared uh, as we headed into a little ice age, the Egyptians. So, I mean, the history is there that this happens. And if, if we could just, you know, what do they say? If you, if you don't uh, study history, you're bound to repeat it. And uh, I'd love to see us studying the history of, of some of those, those collapses, uh, not just looking at the wars, but looking at why they were having those wars. And you, as you say, this this happens like clockwork. So, uh, I mean, is it possible, though, that in terms of the clock, you could be off by 50, 100, 200 years? Yes, it is. 
Yes, it is. Um, but I, you know, I'm seeing more and more indications that, that what I see, what I think is coming. And the other part, of course, is, is I think it's going to be associated with a magnetic reversal. And we haven't talked about that much, but, uh, uh, in my studies, I have found that magnetic reversals occur on our planet approximately every 11,500 years. And the last magnetic reversal, the Gothenburg magnetic reversal, was almost exactly 11,500 years ago. So with that tying, and, and when that reversal comes, that's when the, uh, the uh, uh, volcanic activity increases dramatically. So I think that, you know, that'll be a part of it too. Now, uh, when I started writing the book, Scientists said, oh, it takes 5,000 years for a magnetic reversal to occur, and there won't be one for 20,000 years, whatever, you know, nobody knew. But the British Geological Survey came out a couple of years ago and admitted that we could be heading for a magnetic reversal right now. So it all, you know, it's all beginning to tie together in my mind. Uh, does that have any uh, relationship to, for example, uh, the, the fact that um, uh, you know the magnetic north is sort of drifting? It's now no longer in, within Canadian uh, uh, the Canadian borders. It's now somewhere in in Russia. I think it could. During during previous magnetic reversals, is what happens, of course, for people who don't know what I'm talking about, is is all of a sudden your compasses point toward Antarctica instead of toward the Arctic. But during previous magnetic reversals is what happened is sometimes it fluctuated. The North Pole would move partway south, and then it would go back north again. Then it would move partway south again, so it would fluctuate. And so, you know, what we're seeing now, I don't know if it's something that's going to go back again or if it's going to continue on moving south. But that is... The other thing that happens during magnetic reversals is magnetic field strength goes down to about 15% of normal before it finally uh, uh, reverses. Well, we'll have to we'll have to uh, save that for another another right. uh, occasion. But Robert, I really appreciate you spending some time with us again. The uh, the website is iceagenow.com and .info. Not by fire, but ice. Appreciate it, Robert. Thank you, Richard. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in a flash with a few words about an upcoming episode. It's time once again to welcome back Colleen Forgus, a nutritional consultant and the manager at our Strange Planet Full Script Dispensary. Hey, Colleen, how are you? Hi, Richard. I'm great. You know, uh, once things start to open up again, uh, God willing, in the next few months, we hope, and people start to travel again, perhaps, sometimes when we travel, we get a bit of a stomach bug and uh, we suffer from a little diarrhea. What do we have at the Full Script Dispensary to help people with that? Yes, this product I would recommend putting in your carry-on bag. It's called BHI Diarrhea, and it's designed to help for those times when we have a bout of diarrhea, and you know it's not from something horrible that you've eaten, but maybe it's just because you're traveling, you're stressed, and this will help with diarrhea, abdominal cramps, colic, and even gas. And that's BHI Relief, BHI Relief. From the Strange Planet Full Script Dispensary, go to strangeplanet.ca and click on the Full Script Dispensary button. And don't forget, subscribers receive 10% off all products and free delivery 
on all orders over $50. Talk again soon, Colleen. Thanks, Richard. Have a great day. You too. These products have not been evaluated by the FDA and are not intended to treat, diagnose, or cure. If you have a medical concern, please consult your health care provider. Coming up next time, author Robert W. Sullivan IV reveals an undiscovered historical anomaly. How could a high-degree Masonic ritual developed in France in the mid-1700s have included elements of the Book of Enoch when that book was considered lost until 1773? Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.